we have the opportunity today to deepen our cultivation of meditation This path of awakening is sometimes organized into three trainings. Training in virtue, that restraint that we began the retreat with that uh, giving up, harming, not acting on the impulse to harm, to take that which is not given, etc. That letting go of those sorts of actions and speech which cause harm. And that that training lays the foundation for little by little freeing us from remorse, not having so much ramification from our actions, which is the ground for the middle part of the path, which is called samadhi, or gatheredness, unification of body and mind. The Buddha said that when the mind is composed, when it's unified, then it will see things the way they actually are. A composed mind that's not scattered, lost and entangled in all sorts of, all sorts of views and opinions. When that composed mind turns to the nature of things, there will be revelation, there will be the revealing of the true empty, seamless. Undivided nature of things, which is this last training, the, what's called wisdom, panya, being liberated from confusion, seeing things the way they are. So this samadhi, sometimes translated as citta kagata. Citta means the heart. Eka means one, single, unified. As these streams of our being, the bodily formation, the stream, the thought processes, the processes, the thinking mind, which discriminates and discerns this from that, here from there yesterday from tomorrow. The body, the thinking mind, and the heart, the citta. When there's samadhi, all these streams come together. There's a unification. When the Buddha was talking about the function, some of the functions of samadhi, this, what we're cultivating, The first one was, and it's important, learning to cultivate a pleasant abiding. 
in the here and now. It's the healing dimension of the path. It's the sort of pleasure that is blameless. It's not a pleasure that is grabbing something from somebody else. It's not a pleasure that's flowing out to hold on to some external pleasant sight, pleasant sound, pleasant smell, pleasant taste, pleasant external tactile sensation. It's a pleasure that wells up from within, from the heart itself. It's a holiday, a true holiday, like coming into wholeness. And even though we might think, oh God, my mind's all over the place. Little by little, we should intend, not be greedy, don't worry about how much progress I made, little better, little worse, little better, little worse. It gets very bumpy. But if we just intend through the course of the days, the weeks, the months, the years, the decades of our life, however long we have, to little by little learn to appreciate the importance of being here in moments, consciously here, connected embodied, consciously embodied here. And then those moments start to flow together so that there's a continuity of sustained presence. That this is a wonderful way that's incredibly sustainable, not chewing up the resources of Mother Earth, but is a way when we need to, from time to time, we let be, let go the external preoccupations, not because we're judging them as not important, because we need to resource ourselves by grounding, steadying with the body, aligning, refreshing, so that our refuge is firmly in the way things actually are. Then when we turn that more composed mind to some of the obstacles, the challenges that we have, that composed mind is much more likely not to be overwhelmed, much more likely to see into the true nature, much more likely to be able to access from the treasury. This heart of ours has a treasury of potentiality. to access intuitive creative responses so that we're not just locked in the compulsive, habitual. So we're training ourselves not to reject outside things, but to learn to, when we're continually being tormented to figure out the future, to rehash the past. Yes, there's importance in that, but it's also very important in learning how to say not now, to hold it lightly, to allay, as the Buddha would say, or subdue this longing and distress 
with reference to the world so that we don't have to follow every single thought. We can just say, not now. And return to the body. With what? With that directed thought I was talking about last night, that moderated, short, a thought that dissolves. But as it touches the mind, for example, how is it now? That thought dissolves, but its impact is to turn the heart here. That short thought, gentle thought, conscious thought, directs the mind and then opens the way for vichara, that receptive, more yin, that feminine dimension of the heart that can receive and connect. We get a bit lost, the vitaka, the directed thought can guide us back, but that more yang and the yin balance one another. We learn how to tune them. And a phrase can help us, held very lightly, that can mingle the phrase of breathing in or breathing out, or or the phrase, the, the word just in and out with the breath. Or my favorite is that sacred word, bud. To, bud, to, with the in and out breath, which just means awake, awake. And we're remembering that our essence is this buddhic. Our true nature is awake. And the word also constellates it. reminds the heart to trust. We can rest here. This is our refuge. Buddha, wakefulness. And this Buddha connects, aligns with the nature of things as the dharma of the in-breath, the out-breath, the dharma of the feelings, perceptions, sounds. We can explore, play. We can get some ideas from the books, but then we make it our own by exploring, experimenting, playing. In the monastery, in our monastic years, our teachers called meditation bhikkhu football. (laughs) But we we enjoy it, like we play a musical instrument. It's work, Kitty Sorrow. Okay, okay, it is. There's there's some effort here, but you know, it doesn't have to be miserable. (laughs) It's the samadhi has within it the pleasure principle, the blameless pleasure. You saying, Kitty Sorrow, that my meditation's a waste because it's hell in there. Okay. It can sometimes be hellish. But, but even in moments of relaxing with that and finding a place of nobility, of being at ease with how it is, even if that's just a moment, we're learning how to savor, 
We're learning how to appreciate the importance of this moment. Because it's this moment that has within it the treasures of the true nature. And when we're in such a big hurry to get over this problem, this obstacle, this barrier to get to, it's, it's not bad, but there's energy in it, but it's endless. That's why it's called samsara. In the Anapanasati Sutta, Sutta means discourse. It means thread, like stitches. The Buddha called, lined up different thoughts and threaded them together. And that when we follow the threads, there's a meaning, an encouragement, a reflection, a teaching that we then can follow, listen to, and that aligns us with the nature of things. Anapanasati Sutta, the anapana means in and out breath. Pana is Pali word for prana, Sanskrit. Breathing in and breathing out. Sati, the mindfulness of the in and out breath, discourse. This was a meditation of the Buddha that was important in the Buddha's own awakening. And it's with us all the time. And if we befriend the breathing and little by little get skilled with being with the breath, then the breathing can help heal us, refresh us, help us return to samadhi, a place of gatheredness a holiday, a a coming into wholeness. He gave some general instructions and he had just four little tips that he gave uh, and, and hold them lightly. But when we're... Well, the first encouragement was to, you know, to be, intend to be aware of the in and out breath, to sustain that. But first he talked about the long breath, being aware when you breathe in long, being aware when you breathe out long. The way our teachers interpreted this was that when you're quite scattered, or even a little scattered, sometimes it's really helpful to find your body, find the moment when we're caught up in something and take a long in-breath. Then you find the body. You're bringing that refreshment in. And a long, slow out-breath where one consciously softens the forehead, the eyes, the face, the jaw, the shoulders, letting the stress run off the body like rain off a thatched roof down into ground as we feel the body and the weight of the body being pulled by Mother Earth. We feel that stabilizing ground. And sometimes, if one is quite busy, Ajahn Chah would even encourage us to follow the pathway of the breath. That's the long breath. Just to notice the breath entering, touching the nostrils. And the awareness can just gently 
move down as it notices the air touching the lungs and then down at the lower part of the breath when the diaphragm and belly. So at the end of the in-breath, we notice the belly and then out-breath, awareness can move up to the lungs, out the nose. Just if one wishes, just so you can get a feeling of some ways of doing this, because that gives you a few points. This is a vitaka, it's a directing the mind to be aware of the nostrils when the breath touches, the lungs, the belly, the out-breath, the belly, the lungs, the nostrils, sustaining presence, in-breath, belly, nostrils, belly, out-breath, belly, lungs, nostrils. One can do that or experiment. And then there'll be a time when you're up present and it, that'll feel a bit clunky. And you might intuitively, the attention will want to be with the body breathing in one particular place. And it might change over time. Our teacher Ajahn Chah enjoyed being with the breathing at the nostrils. And that that's, can be called the short breath. You're not following the pathway of the breath. Might be at the nostrils or the sense of the chest area moving, expanding, contracting. Or the rise and fall of the belly. But for example, if you're with the nostrils, you're just being with the breath as it comes in, touches the nostrils and goes out, just standing still right there with that sensation, not worrying about the future, not worrying about the past, being with that sensation of contact as the breath energy manifests in that sensation in the nostril area. Letting the breath be the way it wants to be. Sometimes our breathing gets constricted. And that's another reason the long breath sometimes can break us out of a, out of a contracted pattern. And if you're in a hall, it, I see, you know, you can experiment with a long breath, but I don't encourage in the hall one big loud pranayama. <laughs> I I think save that for maybe out on the land. But for the sake of each other, quiet. But you might want to do a longer breath to stretch and relax on the out-breath and then get a feeling for letting the body find how it wants to breathe. Sometimes the body needs longer breaths. Sometimes it wants shorter, shallower, more easeful breaths. You're listening in to the body-mind and and allowing it to be in a way that's comfortable. Steadying with this standing breath as we're with the breathing, the energy of the breath contacting the nostril or the heart area or the belly. Steadying using our word or phrase, if that's helpful, that won't interrupt, it just lightly, lightly, lightly reminds us to be here, 
now. If you're already really here now and the, the words seem too busy, that's all right, let them go. Then the quality of fullness and ease can get stronger. But don't be in too big a hurry to let that directed thought and receptive quality of the mind that feels into it and adjusts. Don't let it go too quickly because then we wander off. An image sometimes the Buddha used for this samadhi of the heart's relationship to the object, in this case the body breathing, is like holding a bird, a wild bird, a vibrant bird, a little bird. If we hold too tight, we hurt the bird. We crush it, we could even kill it. We injure it. If we hold it too loosely, it just flies off. This is tuning. So if we get it wrong, we, we learn. We learn to explore effort, stronger effort, subtler effort. So this short breath as we're being with the breathing in one place. Then the third encouragement the Buddha gave is, is at some point explore experiencing the whole body as we breathe in and out. It doesn't have to go all at one big thing, boom. But the Buddha is encouraging our samadhi so that it blesses the health of our body and so that it becomes more durable. Sometimes when our focus is in a little place, not always, but sometimes we're a bit, it's a little brittle. We're a little contracted around it. So on the out-breath, it's very important to even begin to learn how to soften, relax that area and widen so that we notice the sensations of wherever we're being with the breathing. And as we widen it, they'll mingle with the tissue around it. And the lens of our awareness will widen so that if we're with the nostrils, we'll then notice the, the mouth, the eyes, the face, the head. Relaxing and releasing so that the blessing of that abiding will also permeate and penetrate and bless the whole body. That's why it's healing. Because the whole body is being embraced by awareness. And so in this sort of uh, practice, we might still be comfortable being with the breathing in one particular place, but we're allowing that energy then to touch into, little by little, the whole body. Then we'll notice different parts of the body that are a bit contracted, or dead, or more tense. We intuitively get drawn to those as we breathe in, patiently, kindly being with that area, and then as we breathe out, soften, widen, release, so that the energies and channels of the subtle breath that's moving through the nerves, the organs, the bones, the channels, mixes and mingles. It's a dance. And sometimes if we're getting too distracted out there, you can then go back, go back to the long breath. 
bring your phrase or word to remind you what you're doing in and out. But just to, to remember from time to time, check if you're abiding is blessing the whole body. Because the Buddha's teachings on samadhi go from the limited to the measureless. All the teachings take us from the limited to the measureless. Because our true nature is measureless. What awareness touches, if it's non-judgmental, kind, Awareness, it will bless. That's what awareness does. It puts, it balances things. So when you're being with the body, breathing in one particular place, the vibration there quickens. It becomes more refined, purified. When we move from that second short breath to the experiencing the whole body, when we start to practice learning to widen the awareness, that more rarefied, purified energy then gets, blesses the rest of the body. And finally, we learn to breathe in and out. The fourth step the Buddha gave is just learning to breathe in and out, calming. Just calming the body. It happens naturally. On the beach where we, Tanisha and I would... uh, when we're getting away from our hermitage in the mountains and too much retreat, too much challenge, and we wanted to take a break on the beach just north of Durban, we would drive three hours to Mshloti or Mshlanga. And sometimes during the day or near the end of the day, the beaches are all, people might have driven vehicles or walked or there's all kind of tracks and on the beach down near the water. But one of our favorite things was to go walking in the early morning when the tides that have been coming in and receding, in and receding. And in the early morning, all those tracks are gone. All the footprints are gone. All the marks are gone. And the billions and trillions of Grains of sand are unified. It's beautiful as the waves come in and recede. Come in and recede, just like the breath. It little by little calms, smooths, balances. So if little by little, patiently, not being in too big a hurry over the weeks and months and years of our life, we befriend this practice. It will make a difference. And we will, in time, be able to go on holiday, a true holiday, when we can return to the center and unify ourselves. taking a few minutes
to check our posture. Feeling the reassuring, firm, supportive ground of Mother Earth. As we breathe in long, the spine can extend and the crown of the head can lift up just a bit and breathe out, softening, relaxing the spine, the shoulders, the face, letting any stress just flow down like rain off a thatched roof down into the ground, through the body. And following the pathway of the breath, if you wish, for a while. Or if the mind is already somewhat composed, just letting it intuitively be drawn to a part of the body where it's easiest and most comfortable to be with the breathing. If it's helpful using our word or phrase on the in and out breath just to quietly remind us being interested in the sensations savoring them, relaxing subtly with each out-breath. Not to worry if we distractions come. Like birds flying through the sky, they come and go. Our word or phrase reminds us. Breathing in and out as we're with the breath energy, the vibratory energy in the part of the body that we're drawn to.
and on an out-breath widen the lens a little bit. Soften. Noticing the sensations in the area around where we're watching. The whole body is breathing. Vibrating. Blessed by the subtle vitality principle of the breath. And play and explore, letting any part of the body that's more uncomfortable. We notice that as we breathe in and as we breathe out wide and soften. Let those sensations mingle with the other parts of the body that feel good. Is it possible to be aware of the whole body as we breathe in and out? Bathing in awareness. softening and relaxing with each out-breath. Soothing and calming this body-mind with each out-breath.
the mind wanders, we direct it back patiently, kindly, without judgment. And then we receive how we are. And in that reception of how we are, we can sense intuitively if there's an adjustment that needs to be made. If we've gone too wide, we might intuitively know, oh, I just need to go back to the short breath in just one place. Or even the long breath, a few long in-breaths and out-breaths just to emerge from some big storyline I got caught in. We can dance intuitively between these four graduated entryways. Being aware of the long breath, the short breath training ourselves to be sensitive to or experience the whole body as we breathe and training ourselves to calm this body-mind as we breathe. And as we do this practice of samadhi, as our practice ripens and matures, we will have a more skill at accessing a pleasant abiding in the here and now. Then knowledge and vision will arise. As that mind gets more composed, it will just know things. When the mind turns to something, it's more likely to see it as it is. We will also have, as the Buddha taught us, just more mindfulness and alertness will be present for our life rather than just unconscious. And finally, the most profound blessing of this samadhi training that we're doing together is that it can liberate us. That composed mind can see into what binds us to birth and death, can liberate us so that we feel this and experience and know and abide in this timeless, luminous, peaceful essence.
today. Um, as you've probably all noticed, the on the board there's the uh, list of the small group interviews. If you haven't seen it, please check, because we're going to see half of you today and the other half tomorrow. Also, there was a typographical... I'm going to, but I'm just first, in case I miss it. There was a typographical error in Tanisra's meeting in group in room... in room uh, two, said four o'clock. It, it should be 11.30. It, it, the, the two meetings are right after this and then 11.30. So we also, though, have a few minutes in case there's any uh, questions uh, from what we've been practicing, what we've, uh, any of the questions about any of the teachings or questions that are coming up from your, from your practice. I love your question, and uh, see, I don't feel a conflict between the two, but I actually agree with you. If you if you're interpret the, the words, which are just sounds, because samadhi sees that every concept explodes. It's a bubble. So we could just be here in silence, but then, you know, one trying to, you know, the Buddha spoke for 45 years, but he said he never said a word. So, you know, we're speaking, but if this phrase of seeing things as they are, if one thinks that means one's going to come up with big truths with a capital T, your samadhi is still limited because you're, you're not seeing, that person's not seeing their attachment to concepts of this and that. But if one sees the true, ephemeral, ever-changing, empty nature, then it's mystery. It's mystery. But... But in letting go of trying to make something certain that's not certain, when one touches into that mystery, that's a truth that's not conceptual, but we know it. Not with the manovinyana, the sixth consciousness, that, that discriminatory consciousness, but know with a deeper intuitive knowing of the heart, which is called wisdom. So, but I love your question, 
and I think it's a very important one. And what you're talking about, I believe, is a deepening and maturing of understanding. But So I don't really feel a, a conflict, but I think one needs to be careful if one has this idea that I'm going to have them in my pocket that I can just flip out these truths and say, and <clears throat> everything's suffering. What are you going to say to that? <laughs> or everything's not, you know, that's still called, that person's got a big-time view, and that big-time view is, 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 is born of delusion and hasn't really been seen yet. Anyway, what you're talking about is a profound part of the teaching that we're going to be building into as the retreat goes on. And who knows, maybe all our doubts will be exploded by the end. And maybe not. <laughs> I think where I'm getting confused is when you use the word know or understand. That, to me, cues uh, the more cerebral, intellectual, conceptual knowing. And I think I understand now that the word is being used in different ways. Absolutely. And... And again, as the retreat goes, notice the directed thought, which is engaging the cognitive function. Notice I use the phrase moderating thought. Rather than a big long string of talking about this, that, this, that, and getting to answers that I'm going to use to argue, shorter thought to direct attention, and then the attention, which is quiet. So... And in the training that we'll touch into as the retreat goes on, the Buddha is teaching us how to learn to abide without thinking. So you're right, we use the English word know, but it's a, it's a different kind of knowing. You can try to use the word intuitive knowing, but it's not just some crystal ball thing. It's uh, even in between the thoughts, when there's no thoughts, you don't kill over dead. There's still a intimate connection, and there's consciousness, there's a knowing, but it's not verbal. But it, it's, it can be very profound. But th- those are really good questions, and that's, I think, something, hopefully, that as we explore our body-mind, we'll see those sorts of things. My question at that point was, could you elaborate more on the internal dhamma? Now, you may have done that just in this sitting, um, in what you've just been talking about, but is there anything, is there anything other? Well, I mean, like Ajahn Chah would, you know, hearing him give a dhamma talk just it was wonderful, but even if you couldn't understand what he was saying, and I, my tie was pretty bad, but I could understand a little. But even his tone of voice, his aura, the, the emanation of peace and unshakable confidence, that dharma in the sound, the dharma of whatever's happening in our experiences arising and shifting 
according to this mysterious law. And it's all arising and ceasing within this unmoving ground, which is also the Dharma. So, and this, this mysterious Dharma is, you could use the word cosmos, or it's the way, it's nature. Sometimes in Thailand they call it tamachat. It's the nature of things. So even if there's no Dharma text in front of you, oh gosh, I've lost my refuge with the Dharma, I've lost my refuge with... No. The Dharma, when the we're aware of how things are, we're... And I don't mean how things are in terms of some truth, when we're just with the pleasure, the pain, the, the sensations, the perceptions, we're being with nature. We don't have to just go outside to be with nature. It's incredible in Africa to go to the game parks to be with and see the rhinos. Wow, when we first walked around and saw these rhinos, whoa! And, and you know, the incredible, uh, what are those sleek ones called? Impala, they're, they're so beautiful, wow! the impala. But, you know, as we go into meditation, when we're being with ourselves, we're, we're going into the natural world of the heart. And of, so that's the dharma. It's the way. Is that making any sense? It's making more sense. Well, that's a good direction. <laughs> Okay, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about how the uh, of the Chara works rhythmically in terms of alternating at the same time? They work together. They can work together. So anytime there's a, a thought or a question. Uh, the question was, can you talk about how the Vichara work together, in-breath or out-breath, or alternate. And they're, they're, like sometimes it's described as a, the way a thumb and a index finger work. If you're, one holds it steady, the index finger, so that you can feel into. So that vitaka, like if you're saying in, whispering in as you breathe in and whispering out as you breathe out, that just points your mind to the dress, breath. But what is it that feels into the texture, that, that notices it beginning and ending? That's the vichara, that's the mind that's moving and feeling into. And then if it wanders off, it, you, you can bring another uh, vitaka back. But if you're there already, vitaka can disappear and you're just doing the vichara. You're, you're just feeling into and maybe adjusting. You're noticing, oh, there's too much effort here. You're just noticing it's, it's too tense and there'll be an intuitive recognition of, hey, soften up. So soften up. So they, sometimes when something really, really gotten lost, you might have to turn the volume up a bit on the vitaka. Not now. Look, you stay with this, where's it going to take you? <laughs> you know, you know when you go down that road, it's just going to tell you and you can just say, okay, not now. So that's a, it's bringing you back. So again, you can play with it. Notice when if you're too much into the pointing, pointing with not enough receptivity, it's all just yang. So sometimes, like a question, like how is it, 
directs you to the present, and then it's this very receptive, just receiving. So you, you can get a feeling of how too much receptivity without any direction, you maybe forget why you, what you're doing, and then you're just an hour later, oh. Uh, so, so that's why the Buddha used the image of uh, tuning, tuning an instrument that we, and it changes depending on how we feel. But it's a skill. Thank you. For the sake of our uh, interview period now, we'll, we'll leave it there. But thank you all for your practice and your questions. <laughs>